This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290 WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF News. Sunshine today, high near 37. Clear tonight, low around 30. Sunny Friday, high near 51. Medical debt will no longer appear on the credit reports of New York residents. The change signed into law Wednesday by Governor Kathy Hochul takes effect immediately. It prohibits credit agencies from collecting information about medical debt or reporting it as part of consumer credit ratings. It also bans hospitals and health care providers in the state from reporting such debt to the agencies. New York follows Colorado in enacting the change, and a similar measure is being considered federally. It should help people hit with huge unexpected medical bills. Bad credit reports can make it difficult to rent a house or get a car loan. Wednesday, members of the Metro SWAT team and the Broome County Special Investigation Unit Task Force executed a search warrant at 127 Susquehanna Street in Binghamton. The investigators located approximately 114 grams of cocaine and items used for cutting and packaging narcotics. As a result of the investigation, Anthony Alicia and Naomi Rivera were arrested and transported to the Binghamton Police Department to be processed on charges of one count of criminal possession of a controlled substance in the second degree, one count of criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, two counts of criminal use of drug paraphernalia second degree, and four counts of endangering the welfare of a child. According to the New York 511 website, Broom 911 reported a crash that resulted in closure of the Bevere Street Bridge in both directions at US 11 on Wednesday evening. Binghamton police and fire closed the bridge at US 11 and Shenango Street, and the New York State Department of Transportation responded to assist with the closure and bridge inspection. Binghamton officials are working to lay the groundwork for a new cannabis cultivation and manufacturing operation in the city. The concept of developing such a facility remains alive, although a future project may not involve the California company that publicly expressed an interest in Binghamton. Mayor Jared Cram announced the plans for a project in July 2022. He said a firm named Steezy was planning to enter into an option to purchase agreement for a site in the first ward. The 8.2-acre parcel is between Charles Street and West Street. The land is part of the Charles Street Business Park. The site has been vacant for decades since the abandoned Anatech Image Corporation manufacturing complex was demolished. Graham was asked about the status of the potential cannabis project during a WNBF radio interview. He said, no pun intended, but the embers are still burning on that concept. But the mayor added that a future project may not be pursued by Steezy. He said there still is interest from cannabis cultivators and manufacturers to use the Charles Street site. The village of Endicott has been awarded more than $200,000 in a New York State Water Infrastructure Improvement Act grant. The grant was awarded to the village of Endicott as part of a requirement by New York State to develop a flow management plan. According to the Village of Endicott offices, this plan will establish a schedule for the village and communities with flows contributing to the Endicott Wastewater Treatment Plant. 
The goal of this project is to rehabilitate defects that have been identified in the village of Endicott wastewater treatment plant. The project is to a second phase of the manhole and sewer rehabilitation and removal of municipality-owned stormwater connections to sanitary sewers. The village of Endicott notes that the grant will help enable future growth within the village and neighboring communities to allow the wastewater treatment plant to serve more people, businesses, and industries. Stephen Perrine of King Ferry, New York, was sentenced to 12 months of probation for stealing money orders from the United States Postal Service, according to the Office of Inspector General, Northeast Area Field Office. Perrine previously pled guilty and admitted that while working for the USPS in Ithaca, he stole 10 money orders totaling $2,480 by issuing them to himself and entering fraudulent justifications in a USPS accounting system. He admitted that he stole and cast a $400 money order on or about September 13th of 2022 and documented the money order as having been issued as payment for local transport. Perrine admitted that on October 15th of 2022, he stole and cast a $200 money order, which he fraudulently documented as having been issued as payment for office supplies. Perrine was ordered to pay full restitution of $2,480 to the United States Postal Service. That's a look at news for updates on local news, weather and sports. Open up the WNBF app or WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. I'm Bob Joseph. This is Binghamton Now. It's Thursday, December 14th, 2023. 607-772-1290. Program's live. It's local. And you are welcome to participate. Dial in. Let me know what's on your mind. And remember, you can take a look at WNBF.com for latest news and information from around the Twin Tiers, including the future weed farm or cannabis production site, potentially. Cultivation could happen in Binghamton. Well, it might. It might, as we heard from Mayor Jared Cram when he was on the program. So... We've got some information on that. Also, an interesting feature about the avenue in Endicott. Some uh, pictures that may be of interest to you. And also our segment from earlier in the week when we spoke with historian Gerald Smith about the history of the avenue, how that all started, and then some of the changes along the way. So if you have any interest in Washington Avenue, you should check that out, WNBF.com. All right, let's hit the phones as we begin on a Thursday morning. Hi, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Gary Westside. Good morning to you, Bob. Hello. Morning, Gary. Hey, so I, I went to WNBF.com, and an article piqued my interest. Uh, these eight Binghamton, New York arson cases are still unsolved. And I read through the article and explained how he found the... Uh, the arsons that are listed and 
Bob, one thing struck me right away. There's one glaring that's missing. The wreck park fire, unsolved. I guess that's not unsolved. I was thinking, what's going on here? So I decided to go to the website myself. So I went to the website and I looked. And sure enough, Rec Park Fire is not listed on the Binghamton City website of unsolved arsons. But also, just as glaring, I went to the unsolved homicides, and Eliza Spencer is not even mentioned as an unsolved homicide. So, and you'd only think, Bob, I went to... uh, the one part, I have a iPad, not a computer, so it might come up differently. But I went to the unsolved arsons, and I clicked on it, and it gave me a, it gave me a map of the city of Binghamton and the unsolved arsons. And sure enough, Rec Park is not on there. And there was this other thing that I clicked on, and it said that this was made in 2014. So it appears to me, this is just, I'm guessing now, because I don't know, but that nothing has been updated since like 2014 in this. Well, help me, because I I just punched up the City of Binghamton website, so I'm not familiar okay. with the section that you're referencing, so I'm looking. Okay, yep. I, I went through Don Morgan's instructions, so you go to the uh, police, hit the police. I'm on the police website. Right, and then on the left, there might be unsolved cases. I have an iPad. I don't have a computer. Mm, I don't see where it says unsolved case. Oh, yes. Okay, hold on. Yeah, click on that. I see. Unsolved homicide. uh, Unsolved arsons. Yeah. Uh, Do you see Rec Park Fire? Well, I haven't clicked on them all. I I see there, there was one... Uh, interestingly, the one that still pops up first as an unsolved arson is one where the police, not that long ago, I mean several months ago, so it's been long enough to uh, update this, um, where the boy was killed on the east side. Yeah, on the east side. Now, that wasn't even mentioned in the article but, by Don Morgan. But, well, again, I, I, I don't know. I I didn't write the story. He wrote the story. So all I'm, I'm saying, not criticizing. no, I'm, I'm no. I mean, I, out. I only, I haven't, I haven't seen the story. I see it's on the website. I'm just looking. All I can do is look at what I've reported in the past. Um, March 29th, 2023, Binghamton police arrested a suspect in connection with the arson fire that killed a 17-year-old boy more than 12 years ago. The suspect lived in New Milford and was charged with murder and arson. So that's still listed, though, on the Binghamton website as an unsolved arson, even though the arrest was made, let's see, I'm not good at math, about eight and a half months ago. So I don't know. That's uh, This first time, actually, I've looked at the um, this part of the police website. Looks like somebody... Me too. Uh, looks right, like so somebody. An un, unsolved arsons. You're right. I see. I see the map. And it's Park ain't even on there. Here's a story about um, somebody who was killed by a car in January 2010. Uh, a man who was right, hit so on the, the west theme. side. And then Everything another one. 2014. 
Yeah, well, I guess. They didn't up. They haven't updated it in like nine years. Well, if I if I were running the website, I would have current information. It would be updated, if not daily, at least once a week. But yeah, I would I would think that that would be something important, especially if they want these cold cases solved. Right? If somebody just goes on there and looks, and I mean, Eliza Spencer not on there. Yeah, it's been wow. uh, it's. Jeez. Well over a year and a half. That was April of 2022. I don't know why that's not on there. Yeah. I, I have no idea. That that's my interest. No, it's interesting. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I'll do a follow-up story. I'll do... I don't mean to be critical first thing in the morning, Bob, but it did my Well, interest. it's an observation. It's very important. Well, then maybe very what important. I'll do, two other... This will be my story, um, maybe, uh, <laughs> called... High-profile unsolved crimes in Binghamton that the city forgot. And, I mean, the city hall apparently didn't want to put them in the unsolved case section of the police website. And then I will highlight the ongoing investigation, trying to find who killed Eliza Spencer in April 2022. And I also will be uh, inclined to highlight the unsolved arson fire, I believe, from... June 1st, 2020. I believe that's when that was, so I, I guess that was going that's on That's when that was. That was in June. Uh, what a horrible day And then was. the last day, the last day that uh, Richard David was in office as mayor, he announced that a reward was established for the investigation of that fire. That's the one thing I never fully understood why the... Um, reward wasn't offered, say, in the hours immediately after the arson fire that destroyed the beautiful playground on June 1st, 2020. I, I know the, uh, the city offered the reward uh, in the final hours of Richard David's eight years in office. I do see, speaking of rewards, though... How long though, after the fire was that then, Bob, when he left office? He announced it, I believe, on January, or no, December 31st, 2021. The fire happened on June 1st, 2020. So a year and a half later, they did. And what happened before that fire? Was there anything else going on in Binghamton that might have been, like, riotitious? Who knows? I will say this, speaking speaking of rewards. Was there a big thing about BLM downtown? And I think there was that same night, wasn't there? No, the sure afternoon before, there was a rally. Again, it had oh, nothing to do... Who, who said it had anything to do with the arson fire? Uh, nobody. I okay. just happened to mention that this yeah. was one thing that was coincide. Yeah, I mean, with, I, you know, I was there on, on, on Sunday, on Sunday, May 30th. I was there at Rec Park. In fact, I took pictures. I probably took some of the final pictures of, of the um, special playgrounds because it was that Sunday afternoon, people were standing on it and on and around portions of the play structure because they were attending the uh, rally demonstration that happened at the park. So I, I'm looking at pictures that I took, I would say about less than 12 hours before somebody torched the place. And you were there, I know as a fact, the morning of while it was still smoldering. Yeah, I'm looking at that. I I was there when they had that special 
There's uh, a state police investigator with his special arson dog. Wait, hold on. Listen to the arson dog. Hold on. The dog made... Listen. Hear him? Oh, that's the handler. Hold on. It's a state police arson investigator with his specially trained dog. Listen. It's on June 1st, 2020. WNBF News on the scene. Hold on. It's police investigators, fire marshal. There's uh, yellow tape. Yeah, it was a beautiful time. Uh, Fire lines, yellow fire lines do not cross. Let me hear if we can hear the dog. I thought the dog made some kind of noise. Maybe it was just the handler. Because they were going around the fire-damaged area of the playground to look for clues. For some, yeah. some type of explosives. Yeah, we yeah. would have needed, if the dog did bark, we would have needed a dog interpreter to figure yeah. out what he was doing. I was glad the dog didn't. Wouldn't it be awful if I was there taking video and pictures for WNBF News and for some reason the dog got confused and identified me as the suspect? Yeah, you know, I mean, what, that does I happen. Mean, that does well, happen. Exactly. And in, 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 in what kind of defense do you have? Because they'd say, well, this is a specially trained police dog, and the dog has a special way of signaling the handler when he identifies a suspect. And he came over to this guy from WNBF News who was taking pictures um, six hours after the fire was put out, and he sat down and he raised his right paw and pointed at, at me. <laughs> I mean, it didn't happen, but can you imagine? That sounds like a bad Law & Order episode. Law, well, how about, how about new? Yeah. I was also there that day, too, as a matter of fact. We saw each other. But oh, that's, that's it, right. I forgot. We, we did. Right. If, if they would have alerted to me, you know, I wouldn't really had an excuse. What am I doing there? Well, I, 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 you know, I really was just wanted to see what was happening. Yeah, sure you did. Come with us. Yeah, yeah. Do you have an alibi? What? Where were you? Where were you at twelve twelve a.m.? Where did you come from? Really Where are you going? Do you have do you have at least three witnesses who will independently testify that you weren't in the park? <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank yeah. you. It's uh, it's Tough a compelling anyway. it's a compelling call, and I I appreciate your bringing Five city. Get you know, on board here, Binghamton. We're getting better. That's my new thanks, Bob. My new motto, Binghamton. We're getting better. I also want to point out, I mentioned about uh, the reward that was offered by Mayor David, I think the final official action of his time in office in the waning hours of 2021. Um, Interestingly, WNBF listener John from Binghamton had offered his own reward. You may remember this. Because I think John from Binghamton, like many other people, had expected uh, a reward to be offered by the police or the fire department or someone. And it just never was. So John from Binghamton personally, I believe, called into this program to announce his own reward offer in an effort to find uh, the suspect's. He offered a $2,000 reward for information leading to the Recreation Park arson suspects. So John from Binghamton acted before the city did to put out a reward offer. 
And again, as far as we know, that's still an unsolved case. I did do. I know you'll say, Bob, you're always claiming that you did stories. Well, thanks to the Internet, I can demonstrate uh, last May 31st. I did an update on the story. Sometimes people say, you know, what I don't like about the news media is they never follow up on stories. Why don't they ever follow up on stuff? And so I did. May 31st, 2023. Headline, three years later, no arrest in Binghamton Playground arson. Despite a $5,000 reward offer, no one's been charged in connection with the arson fire that wrecked an adaptive playground in Binghamton's Recreation Park on June 1st, 2020. The $750,000 playground in the park was pretty much destroyed by the big fire. Incidentally, if you have information about any of these unsolved cases, whether it's regarding the arson case from June 1st, 2020 at Recreation Park, or the unsolved killing of Eliza Spencer, which happened on the night of April 21st, 2022. If you have information on these cases or any other unsolved cases in Binghamton, contact the Binghamton Police Detective Division, 607-772-7080. Even if you've been interviewed by investigators in the past, sometimes what happens for unsolved cases, someone will recall something that seemed insignificant or unremarkable when they were initially interviewed and then sometimes months or sometimes even years later it's like yeah you know it was interesting i saw that purple and orange car drive through uh, shortly before the crime occurred and I, i'm only now remembering it but for some reason i remember the last four digits of the license plate number or whatever you might not have remembered it before during the initial interview by detectives, but maybe something comes to you, or maybe since then, and here's another thing that helps police eventually solve crimes, even if it takes months or years. Almost always, someone is going to say something or maybe do something. They're going to let down their guard. I don't think most people are capable of keeping a secret forever. And sometimes someone will inadvertently, or maybe even intentionally, sometimes the, the argument uh, that I've heard sometimes is people actually want to be caught. If they feel guilty about something even years later, maybe they want to be caught and maybe they want justice to be served. So again, unsolved crimes in Binghamton, if you have anything you think could be relevant information, call the detective division, 607-772-7080. Helps solve crime. Even if you were reluctant in the past, that's another thing that just occurs to me. Uh, investigators for all agencies have told me over the years, especially um, in, in recent years, sometimes people are becoming reluctant, far more reluctant to cooperate. They're afraid, sometimes understandably so. Let's face it, if you're dealing with people who would kill someone or dealing with someone who would 
damage a $750,000 adaptive playground. It's understandable how you don't want to be identified as the person who wound up having that person indicted. This is Bob Joseph serving you on a Thursday morning. This is Binghamton Now. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. We're still saving the Southern Tier money at Galt Toyota. WNBF 932 on a Thursday morning with Bob Joseph. This is Binghamton now. More calls more often. Ron from Binghamton's West Side. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, Bob. Say, uh, unlike Gary from the West Side, who doesn't like to be critical first thing in the morning, uh, Ron from the West Side likes to be critical first thing in the morning. I'll do my best. Um, I, I have mentioned in the past, and I'm going to bring it up, I'll tell you why, a maxim that I try to live by, at least I keep in my consciousness. Uh, you know, we've had people call. Uh, last week, was a caller called in and, and kind of laughed that someone could be listening to um, Morning Joe uh, or could be listening to CNN as if only certain Stations like Fox or Newsmax or whatever have the truth. And the maxim that I think is important to live by is uh, to befriend people who are seeking the truth, but beware of people who have found it. And some people have found their truth, uh, whether um, from Fox or from Brett Bart or from Newsmax or on the other side, if you only listen to uh, CNN or Morning Joe or the New York Times, whatever, you, you need to take them all in and to make choices based upon your own intellect. So I, I wanted to mention that, but I wanted to do a little musing here and a question. Uh, years ago, I used to go to a restaurant in this area, very nice restaurant, no longer here. But one of the wait staff, of a very nice young woman, uh, I noticed one day that she had a tattoo. And the tattoo was of the logo of the Pittsburgh Steelers football team. And I thought, wow, why did you get that tattoo? She said, well, my husband is a crazy Steelers fan. He just lives by the Steelers. And, you know, in honoring him, I, I, I got this tattoo. Whoa. So I ran into her maybe 10 years later, no longer at the restaurant. I ran into her and uh, we, we talked just a little bit. And I said, hey, do you, do you have that tattoo? And she said, no, I, I had it removed. <laughs> we're, we're divorced. And I don't know why I ever did a crazy thing like that. So I, I was. I was talking to someone, interestingly, yesterday who said to me that someone we knew in common 
was considering getting a tattoo of the, you know, the bust, the head and shoulders bust of Donald Trump. Can you imagine? She's she's a devotee of Donald Trump. She's going to put Donald Trump on her body as a tattoo. And it just makes me think. And it, and and here's a question. I'll make a statement and a question. The question, the statement is, what will it take to break the spell of Donald Trump, the spell he has cast over simple minded people who believe that a con man is their messiah? And I wonder if any of your regular callers are considering something like a Trump tattoo for themselves. Wouldn't that show honor and devotion to? The man, Donald Trump. All right. A compelling uh, topic and a very serious question to be addressed by listeners who wish to address it. Um, as for me, I, at the moment, have no tattoos. However, I did go into a tattoo place. I've not revealed this to anyone privately and now publicly well now you know so i i went into a tattoo place um is it early this week or was it last friday i don't know the days are all just one giant blur but uh one day in the past week it was last week it was it, i believe it was friday actually it may have been a little bit more than a week ago now it's starting to come very very clear a place that would do both a tattoo and a piercing. So, now, by the way, I went in there not because I was in the market uh, yet for <laughs> piercing or a tattoo, but was working on a story, which, by the way, has already appeared, so maybe you could use that as a clue for the tattoo and piercing center where, where I uh, visited. And the person who runs the place was very very nice and just because of that because the person was so pleasant and worked with me on a story that had nothing to do with this person but very very helpful with information and simply because of that because the person was so helpful and actually most people these days are helpful except for a select few but most people I encounter and my day-to-day -day reporting activities are extremely helpful. And this person uh, helped with a lot of useful information for an interesting story. So just because of that, I am giving serious attention over the holidays of getting a piercing and a tattoo. But I'm going to need people to give me guidance. So if you have thoughts about... Now, I'm not going to do a tattoo on my forehead. You know, I'm going to draw the line there. Probably. I have to check to see what, what it says here in the Binghamton Now employee handbook. Because I'm not sure if that's permitted for the host of the program. Anyway, if you have thoughts about uh, tattoos or piercings that I should consider over the holidays because I want to start the new year 2024. I want people to know it's the all new Bob Joseph show here on News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com.
Hi, I'm Bob Joseph. Welcome to my place. It's a quiet place. I call it my quiet island. Matt from Binghamton, good morning. You're on the air. Oh, I almost fell asleep at this quiet island here. Um, anyway, I think I've seen the light. And Well, I, they probably won't let me. Uh, do you think they would let me to have dinner at Mar-a-Lago? Because part of the new digital car or whatever those things are that trumps the, the new batch of 47 cards he's selling for the price of $4,653, you get not only... Uh, a special playing card. I think it's the mugshot uh, once you get all the others. And then you get a piece of his suit he was wearing when he had the mugshot, which brings me back to my days of early Christianity at St. Catherine's when they used to have us. I remember there was Lady of Fatima or Lady of Lourdes. You could send them a certain amount of money and you would get a piece of cloth that was touched by a saint or something. Uh, so if we could do that, we could actually, they probably won't let me in. So I think we should have a telephone where we raise the money for you. You go, you get the cards, you get everything, and you get to go to dinner at Mar-a-Lago with Donald Trump. I would love it. I would love it. I know. I think we should do it. I think we All could right. do it $4,653. <laughs> if, if listeners do it, I... I pledge I will go if if we wind up winning. And I, I say don't think we. You have to win the way it's written in the story this morning is everybody who gives. Are you kidding me? So as long as we get yes. to what is it four thousand eight hundred? No, four thousand six hundred fifty-three dollars. It's forty-seven right. times ninety-nine. <laughs> well, if um, if listeners, and our listeners do have. Um, a strange sense of humor in many cases. And I, I think, can you imagine what a picture or video of me with the former guy at Mar-a-Lago, what, what that, I mean, that alone. Well, since it's my idea, you have to, there's a, several questions you have to ask. You know me. I, well, I limit. You, you have to limit it to three questions because I don't want to be overly intrusive. I, and I also, here's the thing, and, and Matt, if I may call you Matt, Matthew, Matthew T. Um, if I may, and the T stands for Trump. Um, so, you know, I would be respectful of him. Yeah. Very. I, and look, I, I would ask, and your questions would also have to be respectful. You could not say, yeah, you no good so-and-so. It'd have to be, but relevant questions. And I would ask up to three questions if you submitted them because this is your idea. So in deference right. to you coming up with what I think is a wild idea, but, but certainly plausible. Um, yes. I, and again. Of course, I didn't mention who has to pay <laughs> How to get to Mar-a-Lago? Probably that probably have to be some extra money we raise. Well, I would say, well, that would be nice too. I'm I'm almost compelled. Was almost compelled to say, but I won't. I was about to say, if the listeners raise that money, four thousand six hundred fifty-three dollars to secure me a spot at Mar-a-Lago to have dinner with Donald Trump, I was almost about to say on the radio that I would find a way to get myself down there, but I'm not 
I'm not going to do that. I don't. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to fork out my own money on on what is cheap flights going to Florida. From oh, me. I know there are, and I, I I have people who actually would probably be willing to host me in Florida for a few days before or after the big event. So, in fact, they would be so amused. Who knows? They might they might contribute to the flight. But anyway, well, I, I, it's a I'm good idea. Right now, I'm going to start right now with a bit of if, if we reach the amount with my. Two hundred dollars. I I will pledge two hundred dollars if if we come up with the other forty four hundred and fifty three dollars. So you start keeping track. Okay. People will call in and and, and pledge. Really, it sounds uh, our, sounds our like some sort of pledge system. drive you would hear on the radio. Right. To support to support to support three questions that would be posed representing the people of Binghamton. That's how we could frame it. So it sound it would actually be a legitimate news-type story, three questions posed by a former mayor of Binghamton to the former president. Right, and one of them, then I would like to issue a challenge that I get to play him in golf. If I feed him, he disappears from... No, 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 no. You're going too far. You're, 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 you're asking for too much. Thank you. It's for Binghamton Mayor Matthew Ryan with a compelling concept here at WNBF. You're thoughtful station. I'm going to have to give that some real thought. Dave from Vestal, you're on the air. Yeah, good morning, sir. Hey, hey, a, a, a couple things. Bob. Uh, going back to uh, you, you said John offered, what was it, two grand for the for the fire wreck part for information? It's according to WNBF News. Okay. Well, I, th- I think he made the announcement here on the program. I don't have the tape, but that's what WNBF News reported. Oh, good for him, Bobby. It, it must be nice to have money to burn. Anyways. Well, the bottom um, line is, to the best of my knowledge, I know, I know. you know, the thing about rewards, here's the dirty little secret about rewards, whether they're offered by the police or uh, private citizens or organizations. Uh, most investigators would tell you rewards in the end, don't make a lot of difference in solving cases. They might, in a few cases, a handful of cases. Mostly when reward offers are made, it's designed to um, get the public, again, to focus on a crime and to get some attention. They don't really think, in most cases, that if we offer... um, whether it's a $50 reward or a $50 billion reward, that that amount of money, any amount of money, is necessarily going to finally uh, get somebody who knows something critical that they've been withholding. Oh, suddenly it's because, oh, you offered me all this money. Now I'll tell you, you know, who the arsonist is. I mean, it doesn't usually work that way. It could, but it probably won't. The, the amount probably matters where they... And no, and my, my guess is, unless it was a, subs, I mean, a very substantial amount, I suspect the people who know those involved in the Rec Park arson fire are probably more afraid, and I'm not sure how much money would uh, help. Maybe, maybe getting into the witness relocation program or something, but that's... that's Expensive. Plus, who wants that? Right. Yeah. True. Hey, and and plus too, I was listening to uh, Ron there and his MSNBC and talking tattoos and all that. Maybe someday he can show us his tattoo of uh, Joe and Mika. 
I really don't want to see that. Oh, please. You know, you just had to go and spoil it. We're going to have a lot of food brought in here today. We're having a celebration, so I'm trying to preserve my appetite. And now, just in the blink of an eye, Dave from Vestal spoiled my appetite probably for the next three weeks. Yeah, I probably won't even have a Christmas dinner. Probably won't even have a New Year's Eve dinner unless I get my appetite back. We can only hope, folks. Hmm, I don't want to see that tattoo. Hmm. Hi, it's Bob Joseph, live on the radio. Thursday morning, Binghamton now. Nine fifty-three. This is Bob Joseph on WNBF. James from Binghamton. Good morning. You're on the air. Yeah, maybe like getting tattoos of like political figures isn't like the most you know like cogent thing out there. You know, like that's a little bit like you know kill your idols kind of thing. But I, I, since we're having this uh, um, conversation, it just occurred to me I can only think of one uh, tattoo of a political figure out there. <laughs> And that would be the giant, the giant Richard Nixon face on the back of Roger Stone. That's the only one I can think. Of. Ah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Am I, I'm not incorrect, right? No, no, giant, you, you hit that nail right on the head. Big uh, giant uh, smiling, yeah. dick right on the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> About ready to yeah. lose it. Yeah. All right, I mean, you know, and, and, and frankly, if they had it on his face, then somebody could say they drew a dick on his face. And but that's yeah, very tricky of you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Be right. well. Richard Milhouse Nixon. Yes. Even, even his friends called him Richard. And they didn't call him Little Richard. WNBF, you're on the air. Good morning. Yes. Warren Bush, Sydney, New York. Hi. What's up there in Sydney, my friend? Uh, well, it's cold and sunny, but any event, uh, uh, your previous caller, the one who talked about the tat- lady with the tattoo with Donald Trump, or, or the Pittsburgh Steelers, but wanted to get one of Donald Trump, how dare he question that lady? I mean, look what that man did. I don't care what anyone says. You go back to when Donald Trump was charged in charge, my stocks and bonds were going through the roof. Food prices were very reasonable. Gas prices were a buck eighty a gallon. Uh, the world respected us. I don't understand how in the world someone can even question about the accomplishments of what Donald Trump compared to what disposal we have in office now and the administration. And the Democrats and how the Democrats, anyone that could even support what's going on with all the millions of illegals that are in this country uh, and the food prices, the gas prices, uh, you name it. And uh, the social unrest and no respect for police officers. Um, The list goes on and on. And I don't think that gentleman has any right. 
to question that woman's weight. Well, he has a right to question, and she has a right to enjoy whatever tattoo she wants. I mean, I don't think he should bring it up with her if he wants to talk about it on the program. I understand that it's not right for him, but who knows? could be right for many people. It's 9.56. You're listening to Binghamton Now. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221EJ Binghamton, a town square. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Sunshine today, high near 37. Clear tonight, low around 30. Sunny Friday, high near 51. Medical debt will no longer appear on the credit reports of New York residents. The change signed into law Wednesday by Governor Kathy Hochul takes effect immediately. It prohibits credit agencies from collecting information about medical debt or reporting it as part of consumer credit ratings. It also bans hospitals and health care providers in the state from reporting such debt to the agencies. New York follows Colorado in enacting the change, and a similar measure is being considered federally. It should help people hit with huge unexpected medical bills. Bad credit reports can make it difficult to rent a house or get a car loan. Wednesday, members of the Metro SWAT team and the Broome County Special Investigation Unit Task Force executed a search warrant at 127 Susquehanna Street in Binghamton. The investigators located approximately 114 grams of cocaine and items used for cutting and packaging narcotics. As a result of the investigation, Anthony Alicia and Naomi Rivera were arrested and transported to the Binghamton Police Department to be processed on charges of one count of criminal possession of a controlled substance in the second degree, one count of criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, two counts of criminal use of drug paraphernalia second degree, and four counts of endangering the welfare of a child. According to the New York 511 website, Broom 911 reported a crash that resulted in closure of the Bevere Street Bridge in both directions at US 11 on Wednesday evening. Binghamton police and fire closed the bridge at US 11 and Shenango Street, and the New York State Department of Transportation responded to assist with the closure and bridge inspection. Binghamton officials are working to lay the groundwork for a new cannabis cultivation and manufacturing operation in the city. The concept of developing such a facility remains alive, although a future project may not involve the California company that publicly expressed an interest in Binghamton. Mayor Jared Cram announced the plans for a project in July 2022. He said a firm named Steezy was planning to enter into an option to purchase agreement for a site in the first ward. The 8.2-acre parcel is between Charles Street and West Street. The land is part of the Charles Street Business Park. The site has been vacant for decades since the abandoned Anatech Image Corporation manufacturing complex was demolished. Graham was asked about the status of the potential cannabis project during a WNBF radio interview. He said, no pun intended, but the embers are still burning on that concept. But the mayor added that a future project may not be pursued by Steezy. He said there still is interest from cannabis cultivators and manufacturers to use the Charles Street site. 
The village of Endicott has been awarded more than $200,000 in a New York State Water Infrastructure Improvement Act grant. The grant was awarded to the village of Endicott as part of a requirement by New York State to develop a flow management plan. According to the Village of Endicott offices, this plan will establish a schedule for the village and communities with flows contributing to the Endicott Wastewater Treatment Plant. The goal of this project is to rehabilitate defects that have been identified in the Village of Endicott Wastewater Treatment Plant. The project is to a second phase of the manhole and sewer rehabilitation and removal of municipality-owned stormwater connections to sanitary sewers. The Village of Endicott notes that the grant will help enable future growth within the village and neighboring communities to allow the wastewater treatment plant to serve more people, businesses, and industries. Stephen Perrine of King Ferry, New York, was sentenced to 12 months of probation for stealing money orders from the United States Postal Service, according to the Office of Inspector General, Northeast Area Field Office. Marine previously pled guilty and admitted that while working for the USPS in Ithaca, he stole 10 money orders totaling $2,480 by issuing them to himself and entering fraudulent justifications in a USPS accounting system. He admitted that he stole and cast a $400 money order on or about September 13th of 2022 and documented the money order as having been issued as payment for local transport. Perrine admitted that on October 15th of 2022, he stole and cast a $200 money order, which he fraudulently documented as having been issued as payment for office supplies. Perrine was ordered to pay full restitution of $2,480 to the United States Postal Service. That's a look at news for updates on local news, weather and sports. Open up the WNBF app or WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to Binghamton Now on a Thursday morning. Hope all is well with you and your family during this holiday season. Coming up later this hour, we'll be taking more phone calls. So if you have things that you wish to discuss with me, you can certainly plan on calling. If you don't call in late this hour, you can always call in during the third hour of the program. We're on every weekday morning from 9 to noon. Bingham to now on WNBF. We're joined now in the studio by Casey Eppy, a person who hasn't been heard on WNBF radio in a few years. Casey Eppy, welcome back. Thank you, Bob. Uh, how's your mental health? <laughs> I was about to say that, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to take take it away because I knew that was going to be your first thing. And as I told you when we spoke on the phone uh, several days ago, 
My mental health is about the same as it was a couple of decades ago the last time we spoke. It has wow. its ups and downs, as is the case with everybody. We have, we have great days where everything, we're on the top of the world and, and we're invincible. And then some days you have to look up and say, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to uh, do a little climb here. But it's cyclical. It's it's uh, sometimes like a roller coaster, but you always aim to keep things pretty much right in the middle. That's a good philosophy of your mental health. The other thing I want to do is to wish you and your listeners Kaliki Maka. That means in Hawaiian, Merry Christmas. And thank you. Thank you. I've only been to Hawaii once, and it was the fastest week of my life. Well, my book talks about growing up in Hawaii in a sugar plantation on Kauai. And I find your book fascinating. In fact, that's, that's why you're here. You sent me a copy of this book, and I haven't read the whole thing, but I've read enough excerpts to be just fascinated with uh, some aspects of your early life. And then I also focused on some of the things that you encountered when you came here to Binghamton in the 70s and we'll talk a bit about about what brought you to Binghamton but for people not familiar with you uh, tell our listeners what your last public role was because you were I did uh, a look through the newspaper archives. You were in the news on a very regular basis, not just in the newspapers, but also here in the radio on WNBF, the other radio stations and TV stations. You ultimately wound up in a high-profile position here, specifically helping people with their mental health. Right. Yes, I, uh, my last job here was a very, very uh, gratifying job for me because I, I enjoyed a lot. And for 28 years, I was the executive director for the Mental Health Association of the Southern Tier. And that was um, an experience that I always, when I, before I took the job, I always say, what am I going to do with my life? And here, with the Mental Health Association, it gave me an opportunity to, to help hundreds of people through our Mental Health Association programs. And it was a great, great program. What year did you retire as the executive director? Uh, 2006. Wow. It's quite a while. Uh, yes. Uh, it, it seemed like I was a young boy when I took over the job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was so glad to receive this in the mail one day so just out of the blue because I had lost contact with you and ultimately we wound up talking and uh, you know it, it brought back a lot of memories of of things that we had covered over over the past one of the things that um, I, I found interesting as I prepared for our conversation today was in the early days when you came to Broome County, you took on a huge challenge. I, I would yeah, say, very huge. you know, that might huge. be one of the biggest understatements I've made on the program this year, because you became executive director for what at the time was known as OFB Opportunities for Broome, right. and let's put it this way: things were very contentious with very that operation, right. and and you you came in as 
Effectively, I think one of the key reasons you were hired, you were an outsider. You didn't exactly. have... That's why they hired me. You didn't have I the baggage the of politics. Yes. So tell us, and we'll talk about um, your book and your early years uh, in Hawaii in a moment. But just so our listeners understand, when you came to Binghamton... Um, you faced perhaps some of the biggest challenges anybody could face, especially as a young man coming into a, a community that where you hadn't hadn't lived before. I did have some experience working in the uh, poverty circles uh, in Hawaii. I um, did work uh, there with the Honolulu School District, but coming to uh, Binghamton, uh, I took a job at. Opportunities for Broom as one of those uh, people that would serve five counties for food stamps. Then I was in um, Columbia University about 11 o'clock for training. I got this call from the exec, uh, from the board of directors. Um, she was a chairman and she said, Casey, we're having problems with our executive director here at OFP. I said, oh, she said, yes. Would you like to be the executive director here? I said, what? <laughs> I, you know, I've been there only three months. I have no, my feet was not even wet before they asked me to take on this huge responsibility. And it was a very huge uh, responsibility. We had about five delegate agencies. And for example, one of those delegate agencies was Head Start. The other had to do with drugs. The other had to do with... Uh, prisoner release. The other had to do with community councils. It was a innovative um, agency. But when you get to that point and the federal guidelines said that your board of directors have to be 51% of consumers. In other words, they're the ones that are going to be receiving their own services. And that was a challenge in itself because this is the first time consumers had a say as to what they can do and where the monies are coming from and how it's going to be spent. So you got a late night call, a late night call offering you this oh, very job. Late, late night call. <laughs> and tell me what the situation was because I saw the newspaper story. The the executive director who had been terminated by the board was ordered basically to leave the building at noon and here you come in at noon in the middle of all this turmoil and I guess the first thing you did was call a staff meeting yes well uh, getting back to what you, you said that, that I was going to meet the uh, executive director was just recently fired and at, at that point I was smart enough I didn't come in to meet him <laughs> because situations were so hot, both with the board and staff. And I was right in the middle of this conflict. And I really didn't want to escalate it more. So I just tried to take the middle road and bring everybody together. Uh, and that's what they wanted me to do. They wanted a guy that wasn't involved with all of this infighting that was going on. And so I thought I did a pretty good job on that. And what struck me, because I looked in the newspaper on the day you started, on page three of the evening press, there was a story basically 
I would categorize it as an exit interview with the outgoing executive director. And then on page five, another reporter did basically uh, a chat with you as you were about to enter the fire. And it was interesting, the thing that stood out immediately, clearly, personalities were totally different. You uh, have a completely different personality than the man who preceded you. And that approach struck me as as certainly in an agency that was in the middle of so much turmoil, struck me as, as probably exactly the right type of person to try to bring parties together. It, it, it was, and uh, it was a steep learning curve for me, especially with uh, learning the word advocacy. Advocacy meant different things to different people and how it was going to be implemented. And that's, that's the thing. My guess is, again, from articles I read, that that a lot of people were very well-intentioned. I mean, obviously, people have their own hmm, certain personal motivations and certain things they'd like to accomplish. But if they were involved with an anti-poverty agency in the 70s, my guess is they got involved, at least initially, to really try to help people in need. Exactly, right. But everybody has, has different perceptions. Anyway, just wanted to get that part out of the way so people understood that when you came to Binghamton... It wasn't all uh, just hanging out, having fun, and and everybody said, "Oh, Casey Eppie's here. Welcome!" And, no, no, and no, 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 no. You're going. I was, I was baptized under fire. Yes, <laughs> and you didn't. They 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 didn't say. So here here is a nice job. You're an executive director now. So you work nine to five, Monday through Friday. <laughs> And, and that certainly was not the case. No. And, you know, we, I, I think we could talk for hours just about what ensued at, at the agency before ultimately you wind, wound up going to the Mental Health Association. So, but wanted to at least get, get that out of the way first. Now, about this book. About this book, a young boy growing up, I, I always viewed... Hawaii, even before I went there, and since, for the most part, as someone who was born here in Binghamton, I always thought Hawaii is paradise. Yes, it was. It yes. is. But, but there's more I, to it. I give you a different view of living in paradise. And that is the thing that I, I, I felt that it is important that my grandchildren get to know what was it like to live in a sugar plantation in Hawaii in the years 1940 to 1950? Because sugar plantations in Hawaii no longer exist. So this becomes a historical uh, information for my grandchildren. And for people that have been to Hawaii would like to know What's going on during that time? I talk about Pearl Harbor. I, I, I talk about how I work in the uh, sh- uh, sugar fields and so forth. And for people who didn't catch the title, I think you made reference to the title of the book earlier, but the title? A Barefoot Boy 
from Lihui Sugar Plantation is the book I wrote as my memoir. I'm trying to share it with Binghamton. Anybody wants it, you're welcome to it. Yeah. Uh, I have a whole bunch of them. Yeah. That I, well, I don't want to insulate my, my attic with, with those books. Yeah. Well, it's it's fascinating. And you actually, so you spent a fair amount of time, and I believe you started this project in earnest in the middle of the pandemic. Yes. It, it took me a year to write this book. Yes. And what was the toughest thing? I mean, there are lots. First of all, it's, it's an easy read because yes, there are relatively short chapters that cover a wide array of topics, including your boyhood in Hawaii, also your military service. You wound up coming to upstate New York. You yes, were stationed right. in Plattsburgh. Right. Now, well, talk well, about we, going from paradise. I mean, hey, uh, nothing against hey, Plattsburgh. Plattsburgh well, is beautiful. This is what happens. I, I'm finished with basic training. So they, <laughs> they said, where do you want to go, you know, the, the four assignments? And I looked at that map and I said, you know, I really want to experience the four distinct seasons and he had the map on, on, on the training room, and I pointed to that spot. <laughs> and it was New York, Plattsburgh. And I said, what's up there? Uh, you're going to have four distinct seasons? He laughed at me. My first winter up there was one, two weeks, 20 below zero. For a kid from Hawaii, it, it was unbelievable. Guys with mustache had icicles oh. on, on their... But I loved it up there. I learned how to ski. I learned how to ice skate. Fishing was super. Beautiful, beautiful area. In Adirondacks. It's a beautiful part of New York State. It is. But I'm very, I'm very happy that I chose that in the Air Force. <laughs> yeah. But that was, as they say, that's a rude awakening to go from, yeah. from the, the beautiful uh, climate of, of Hawaii and enjoy upstate New York winters, northern New York winters. Yes. And, you know, we complain here in the southern tier, unless you've lived in northern New York, places like Plattsburgh or Watertown, you don't really know what winter is. Now, interestingly, one of the key, in fact, the key reason, well, explain uh, how you wound up in Binghamton in the first place, because that's part of uh, a love story that's gone on oh, now for you more than... To, you want me to talk about my love story, right? That, oh, that yeah. this part, you could... <laughs> this is the part of the book. You could make a movie out of this part. Okay. The, the, the movie part is that my wife is from Binghamton. Her maiden name is McMahon. And her dad was John McMahon. He had a, a uh, termite, uh, uh, pest control business. So... She and her sister came over to Hawaii because they wanted to experience what it was like to be in Hawaii uh, because we, they just finished their nursing school and she graduated from college. And so she wanted to come to Hawaii and experience that. So she came to Hawaii, worked as a nurse. And so that's how I met her. It was really, really uh, interesting because it got serious. And once it got serious, she is a Catholic woman, and I'm Protestant. And so when the time we had to make a decision if we were going to get married, we both stood our grounds. She said, I'm not going to marry a non-Catholic person. Oh, 
And I, you know what I said? Hey, I'm not going to marry a Catholic per- uh, woman. Oh. So now the book reconciles that. So after 50 years, uh, 51 years of our wedding anniversary, things worked out very well for us. Clearly. Very well. It's uh, And congratulations. Thank you. More than 50 years yep. of marriage. That's quite the accomplishment. So I congratulate each of you. In terms of, and I know we're sort of hopscotching around here, um, ultimately, after mm, a relatively short time, although I'm sure it seemed like a long time, you did eventually leave Opportunities for Broom. And then, ultimately, you wound up focusing on mental health, the community's mental health. Yes. Tell us about that transition. Well, first of all, the, it was during a time period when the New York State mental health had policies where they were going to deinstitutionalize the psych centers. And one of my staff person said, you know what, Casey? You have 23 letters in that, <laughs> in that word. And I said, wow, okay. So now we have people at the psych center. At one time, they had over 1,500 people up at the psych center, believe it or not. It was a community with their own cemetery, with their own farming equipment and so forth. It was a very thriving area. But now I, I, I believe they have less than 100 people there at the psych center. That deinstitutionalization was, was something that was really close to me and Bill Burns. Because we saw people being discharged into the community with no services. Where were they going to be? Some of them ended up being homeless. Some of them were the relatives. And, and their mental health problems were not addressed. And then we saw a phenomenon that took place. The people that have been discharged from the psych center, now guess where they went to? They're being reinstitutionalized in a penal system. 60% of those people in the prisons had clinical mental health problems with no appropriate services for them. So it was, it was a tough situation. It was a policy that had tragic consequences. It, it, it was. And, and further stigmatized people with mental health problems. And that, that, that's a shame. And that's one of the things that I try to do as the executive director of the Mental Health Associates. My primary goal was to try to address stigma. How many of us would talk about our mental health? This is why when I ask people, hey, I greet them. How's your mental health? They get and all when, nervous. They well, get nervous. Of course, because, it's, because most of us greet each other with, how you doing? Right. But... It's a generic question, and we throw it around so casually. The reality is most of us don't want to really know how you're doing. Exactly. It's more like, uh, let's get this out of the way. But if you go into any difficult situation, including a topic that's as challenging for most of us as mental health, it's we're, I think most people feel ill-equipped to talk about our own mental health or the mental health of a friend or a colleague. This is why I greet everybody with, hey, how's your mental health? I'm not probing 
their deep psychological needs and so forth. But here's an example that I'm trying to break that down. I was a president of the Binghamton Rotary Club, right? And as a president, you get up there every morning and you greet everybody and you sing the, the, the uh, national anthem. When I greet everybody at the Rotary Club, guess what I say? How's your mental health? And from that point on, a lot of Rotarians picked it up. And, and they were talking to each other, hey, how's your mental health? Well, it helps and I break say, the ice. That's super. Yeah, super. It, it helps break the ice and it helps people to at least lower uh, the barriers that we all tend to put up around yes. this, this difficult topic. I wish we had a lot longer to talk because oh. I, I believe we could talk all day. But I do want to say that uh, based on just my perusing the book, various aspects of your book, I'm just I'm very impressed how this barefoot boy from a plantation in Hawaii wound up here in Binghamton serving the community first in an anti-poverty agency that was in turmoil and then for so many years with the Mental Health Association of the Southern Tier. So I commend you for the work and for your contributions to our community. And also I like to mention the fact that I, I serve in the Air Force and that was a great honor and privilege to serve my country. And I commend you and thank you for your service there in the military. If people want to read your life story, your perspective from a young boy in Hawaii in the 40s and into the 21st century here in Binghamton, New York, how can they get your book? I uh, haven't... See, uh, uh, this is the first time I've done this stuff, so I don't know how to get this out to people. So I, hopefully I can talk to the Binghamton Library uh, I gave them a couple more of my books there and see if they would have an opportunity for me to sign some books in the library. Well, when, when a book signing event comes up, whether it's at the library or elsewhere here in Broome County, let me know about it and we'll let the listeners know. Absolutely. Thank you, Bob. Uh, mahalo. Mahalo in Hawaiian means thank you. Thank you. Casey Epi. A pleasure. It's 1034, live and local. I'm Bob Joseph. This is Binghamton Now. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. Save in a big way at Galt Chevrolet. Still have the radio, though, and that's the main thing. As long as you have the radio, 
You always buy a new windshield. You always get a new car. But the radio, what if you can't replace your radio? What then? 92.1 FM, 1290 AM. Listening to the Thursday edition of Binghamton Now. 607-772-1290. Here's the forecast. A few nice days ahead. Sunny today. High 37. Clear tonight. Low 30. Sunny tomorrow, high 51. Partly sunny Saturday, high 47. Oh, and since you asked, Sunday, still mild, mostly cloudy. With a chance of rain in the afternoon, the high 48. Right now it's 33 in downtown Binghamton. That's 1 Celsius. And air quality still good. Good week for breathing. For those who celebrate clean air, this is clean air week. Air quality index in Binghamton, lovely, 32. What else is going on here? Do, 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 do. Oh, you can follow us on Twitter. Elon Musk said you could. Uh, on Twitter at Binghamton Now. Twitter.com slash Binghamton Now. Feel free to uh, follow us for breaking news and interesting stories, pictures, videos, articles that you probably aren't going to find elsewhere. That's right. At Binghamton Now. Let's see. What else is uh, happening here in the USA today. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, here's a story. Here's an investigative story. Oh, hold hold that thought. Let me grab a call here. <laughs> Let's grab a call. 1040 WNBF. Hi, WNBF uh, Radio. I'm Bob Joseph. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Beverly from the town of Dickerson. Uh, is uh, the Brewer Street Bridge open now? Mm, not to my knowledge. I think they closed it. Oh, do you know how long for four? Nope, they won't tell us. I I hope they have it close, or I hope it's open by uh, by Christmas time. Well, what happened? Is there something wrong with the bridge, dear? Uh, they had a fire. There was a fire at the oh, bridge. No. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, last I knew, they, they had the bridge closed at, uh, I think they closed it last night. And then I think somebody from the DOT is going to check out the bridge to make sure that uh, it's not going to collapse. Oh, no, Bob. That, how long has that bridge been there, dear? Oh, many, many years. You know, that's, uh, that's a beautiful bridge. I think thousands... I believe it because I go, uh, I go over that over that bridge, uh, well, maybe two or three times a week. I know. It's, you know what occurred to me? It seems like the poor people on Binghamton's north side can't catch a break. They seem to be having bridge issues there. It's, it's so bad with the bridge issues on Binghamton's north side, you almost wonder if Chris Christie's involved. 
You see what I mean? Uh, first, they had remember they had that sinking bridge. The state spent millions and zillions of dollars to fix the bridge that wouldn't stop sinking. And, of course, that's a big secret because it's, it's an embarrassment to uh, America, America's great sinking bridge that cost taxpayers millions of dollars to fix. Remember, uh, Shenango Street was closed for well over a year because of that debacle. And then now we have the Bevere Street Bridge. I mean, come on, man. Is that fair? Is it fair for them to keep having problems with these bridges on Binghamton's north side? How often do they inspect them? Um, they do all the bridge inspections on a very regular basis. I don't know if it's once a year, but one thing I am told here in New York State is they have a, a very good bridge inspection program because they do want to ensure that all of New York State's bridges are safe. So they do keep a close eye on all bridges across New York. Well, that's good. I mean, I was surprised to hear I was surprised to hear it on the news. I go, "What? So the park is closed too, right?" Uh, I don't know. I don't I don't see why. I know I think the park might have been closed last night. I believe the park is open now, but you would have to approach it from Front Street from your side in the town of Dickinson, because with the bridge closed, you would have to, you couldn't go from Shenango Street. You'd have to go and, I believe, enter Otsenango Park on the, right, from the west. So then you'd have, so if you were coming from downtown Binghamton, you would have to come straight up Front Street. Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't be a problem. No. All right? Yeah, yeah. Well, All right. now I got to go down to go across Clinton Street Bridge and out that way if I want to go to the center. Right. Well, we'll see what happens when when they reopen the bridge. I imagine they'll announce it and we'll put it on the air. Okay. Okay. Thank you, sweetie. 1044 at WNBF. This is Bob Joseph, live and local, 607-772-1290. Binghamton now. Ten forty-seven WNBF. Run in Binghamton. Good morning. You're on the air. Ron, you there? Hi, Ron. I think Ron is driving. All right. Okay. Keep on driving. Linda. Linda, you're on the air. From Binghamton, right? Uh, our thanks. Yes, sir. Very well. How about you? Super. Never better. I think you know what I'm calling about. Oh, I I'm think. I'm calling about. Uh, yeah, well, you. The, the embers <laughs> are still going for the, the cannabis plant. Yep. So I have called the mayor's office because I want to discuss and make sure that we can have a a public meeting on this, and I have been doing my research mm -hmm. and 
I just have a couple facts. Uh, actually, one fact that I would like people to actually uh, think about this, um, if it gets out there. And the fact is, for a cannabis plant, for one plant, it takes 3,600 kilograms of CO2, okay? For a tomato plant, it takes two. Well, that's quite a difference. Oh, it sure is. And the water consumption, 22.7, that, that would be six gallons per square foot of the cannabis plant per day. And, uh, sorry, and then, no, that's right, it's six gallons, it's 22.7 liters. Waste management issues of the water is also a problem. And I read in one of the articles that industries are expanding too fast without considering without consideration of the environment. So, so, so in other words, you when I brought this up with Mayor Cram the other day, whether the cannabis concept for the uh, Charles Street Business Park on eight acres, whether that was still uh, something being considered, I I imagine that got your attention. I sure did, because yeah, I heard it again this morning on the news. I know that uh, Stizzy, the, the plant from, or the company from California, is out of it. I'm sure there's other uh, companies that would like to purchase that, but um, I just don't think it's the right place, and it may not affect me. I might be high enough not to get it, but I don't think it should be right in the middle of a neighborhood. About how far, so you live in the first ward, but about how far away is your residence to where they're talking about uh, the possibility of the cannabis cultivation and manufacturing operation? Uh, to what? Two miles. Okay. Two miles off. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I've, I've, you know, the weird thing about cannabis is I, I've, I've never seen anybody cultivate it. Well, uh, they can get pretty large. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I'm going to... Anyway, I just want to... Yeah, thank you for uh, checking in with me on this, because I didn't... I thought um, it would be a good idea just to check with Mayor Cram to see it, whether Stizzy, as he mentioned, Stizzy probably isn't going to be involved going forward, but the city yes, has had inquiries from from other, other um, uh, potential potential uh, cannabis operators. So I will do my best to get more information. And if you hear anything or see anything, let me know. I will. I will. And thank you and have a good day. Thanks. It's 1051. This is Bob Joseph serving you. Went over to the uh, the site the other day and not much has changed. I mean, it's still been that vacant site pretty much ever since they demolished the old Anatech buildings. It's hard to actually visualize. If you didn't live in Binghamton back in the day before all those industrial buildings were finally torn down, it's really hard to explain what the first ward looked like before what was left of Anatech was finally torn down. It's 1052. This is Binghamton Now.
WNBF at 1055. 607-772-1290 is the number for you to call if you have uh, thoughts. Thoughts about almost anything. Interesting story from Syracuse.com. That's the Post Standards website. Story about a, a man who um, had pancreatic cancer. It spread quickly to his lungs and liver. And it says his final months came with a traumatic twist. Upstate Medical University took him to court for $10,700 in unpaid cancer bills. Returning from a doctor's appointment, the guy found the state attorney general's office lawsuit on his doorstep. His fiance said the amount of stress that caused both her and uh, her fiance the stress was beyond words. We couldn't understand why they would want to sue someone who is terminally ill. According to this story at Syracuse.com, a medical debt often hits these types of people the hardest. Those too sick to work and too poor to pay their bills. Uh, one guy who was a dump truck driver owes upstate more than $35,000 after passing out a howling rock in a quarry. He said, the hospital wants to sue you. You're the problem. But he says, I'm not rich. The uh, Syracuse.com story says, no one in Syracuse sues over medical bill debt uh, more frequently than Upstate Medical University. It's run by the state. And um, th that university and Community General Hospital, they have sued more than 4,000 patients since the pandemic in 2020, while their private competitors in Syracuse haven't sued anyone since then. So isn't that amazing? Suing people who are really sick. Whew. Wow, that sounds sick to me. It's 10:56. This is WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221 EJ Binghamton, a town square media station. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Sunshine today, high near 37. Clear tonight, low around 30. Sunny Friday, high near 51. Medical debt will no longer appear on the credit reports of New York residents. The change signed into law Wednesday by Governor Kathy Hochul takes effect immediately. It prohibits credit agencies from collecting information about medical debt or reporting it as part of consumer credit ratings. It also bans hospitals and health care providers in the state from reporting such debt to the agencies. New York follows Colorado in enacting the change, and a similar measure is being considered federally. It should help people hit with huge unexpected medical bills. Bad credit reports can make it difficult to rent a house or get a car loan. Wednesday, members of the Metro SWAT team and the Broome County Special Investigation Unit Task Force executed a search warrant at 127 Susquehanna Street in Binghamton. The investigators located approximately 114 grams of cocaine and items used for cutting and packaging narcotics. As a result of the investigation, 
Anthony Alicia and Naomi Rivera were arrested and transported to the Binghamton Police Department to be processed on charges of one count of criminal possession of a controlled substance in the second degree, one count of criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, two counts of criminal use of drug paraphernalia second degree, and four counts of endangering the welfare of a child. According to the New York 511 website, Broom 911 reported a crash that resulted in closure of the Bevere Street Bridge in both directions at U.S. 11 on Wednesday evening. Binghamton police and fire closed the bridge at U.S. 11 and Shenango Street, and the New York State Department of Transportation responded to assist with the closure and bridge inspection. Binghamton officials are working to lay the groundwork for a new cannabis cultivation and manufacturing operation in the city. The concept of developing such a facility remains alive, although a future project may not involve the California company that publicly expressed an interest in Binghamton. Mayor Jared Cram announced the plans for a project in July 2022. He said a firm named Steezy was planning to enter into an option to purchase agreement for a site in the first ward. The 8.2-acre parcel is between Charles Street and West Street. The land is part of the Charles Street Business Park. The site has been vacant for decades since the abandoned Anatec Image Corporation manufacturing complex was demolished. Graham was asked about the status of the potential cannabis project during a WNBF radio interview. He said, no pun intended, but the embers are still burning on that concept. But the mayor added that a future project may not be pursued by Steezy. He said there still is interest from cannabis cultivators and manufacturers to use the Charles Street site. The village of Endicott has been awarded more than $200,000 in a New York State Water Infrastructure Improvement Act grant. The grant was awarded to the village of Endicott as part of a requirement by New York State to develop a flow management plan. According to the Village of Endicott offices, this plan will establish a schedule for the village and communities with flows contributing to the Endicott Wastewater Treatment Plant. The goal of this project is to rehabilitate defects that have been identified in the Village of Endicott Wastewater Treatment Plant. The project is to a second phase of the manhole and sewer rehabilitation and removal of municipality-owned stormwater connections to sanitary sewers. The Village of Endicott notes that the grant will help enable future growth within the village and neighboring communities to allow the wastewater treatment plant to serve more people, businesses, and industries. Stephen Perrine of King Ferry, New York, was sentenced to 12 months of probation for stealing money orders from the United States Postal Service, according to the Office of Inspector General, Northeast Area Field Office. Perrine previously pled guilty and admitted that while working for the USPS in Ithaca, he stole 10 money orders totaling $2,480 by issuing them to himself and entering fraudulent justifications in a USPS accounting system. He admitted that he stole and cast a $400 money order on or about September 13th of 2022 and documented the money order as having been issued as payment for local transport. Perrine admitted that on October 15th of 2022, he stole and cast a $200 money order, which he fraudulently documented as having been issued as payment for office supplies. Perrine was ordered to pay full restitution of $2,480 to the United States Postal Service. 
That's a look at news for updates on local news, whether it's sports. Open up the WNBF app or WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. We sell the ultimate driving machine at Galt BMW. This is Bob Joseph. You're listening to Binghamton Now on a Thursday morning, right here on WNBF. Nobody can tell you there's only one song worth singing. They may try and sell you because it hangs them up to see someone like you. Six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety is the number for Binghamton now. Remember, every weekday morning for news you can use, listen to First News Binghamton with Don Morgan. First News Binghamton, six to nine, right here on News Radio WNBF WNBF.com news you can use. Well, we'll see what Governor Hochul has to say about this. Non-compete clauses. Non-compete clauses. It's a big issue and it affects a lot of New Yorkers. So, the future of non-compete agreements in New York is now going to be in the hands of Kathy Hochul. Here's a story written by John Campbell, journalist, a former reporter for the Presence on Bulletin, if you know who I'm uh, referencing. John Campbell, now reporting for uh, The Gothamist and WNYC. His story says Governor Kathy Hochul will decide the future of non-compete clauses in New York over the next three weeks, and it will likely come down to whether she can strike a compromise among key lawmakers, business interests, and labor unions. She has till the end of the year to sign or veto a measure that would effectively ban non-compete agreements. Clauses in many employment contracts that restrict when someone can work after leaving a particular company for a certain period of time. The agreements are often intended to prevent former employees from working for a competitor. The bill has spurred an end-of-year lobbying war between New York State's major business organizations and powerful labor unions who say non-compete clauses do nothing but harm workers by restricting their freedom to seek work elsewhere. Again, this is a story written by John Campbell. You can see the entire thing at Gothamist.com. With the clock ticking, Hochul surprised some a few days ago by publicly floating a compromise backed by the business community, a $250,000 salary threshold, meaning anyone over 
That amount could still be subject to a non-compete agreement while lower wage workers would be protected. But threading the needle on a potential deal with the legislature so far is proving to be a difficult task. One senator from Buffalo, Sean Ryan, who is the Senate sponsor of the bill, he said he's open to carving out high-earning finance executives and similar titans of industry. But he says a $250,000 salary threshold is too low. About 30 million workers in the United States, about one in every five, are subject to some type of non-compete restrictions, according to the FTC, which itself is weighing a federal ban. A handful of states, including California, already have near total bans. The New York State Legislature approved the non-compete ban in June. Basically, Democrats supported it. Republicans voted against. In Albany, Ockel has three options. When the legislature passes a bill, she can sign it, she can veto it, or she can negotiate changes with the legislature. So, we'll see what happens. Non-compete is a big issue in New York State. And now, in the end, it's up to Kathy Hochul to decide whether she wants to allow it to go into effect. Or she could veto it. Or maybe they'll make some changes. 607-772-1290 is the number. If you have thoughts, concerns, whatever, we're here for you. Because that's what we do. Remember, coming up, by the way, the talk continues on WNBF this afternoon with Dan Bongino from noon to three. WNBF 1120. Vinny from Binghamton. Good morning. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, Bob. Hey, you know, I, um, I see where the Republican party now, they, they voted now in the house to, for the third time, they want to impeach Joe Biden. You know, I saw a political comic strip the other day and it was a guy going in for an interview and he's in the office to be interviewed. And, um, you know, the guy says, well, you know, sit down and he's, he's talking to him. And he's looking through his resume and he goes, I, I see here where you've got two years where you didn't do anything. And he goes, yeah, I was in Congress. You know, this is, this is a perfect example of why we have to go to the polls and get these people out of here that don't want to do anything. An impeachment the third time we could be working on health care, college loans, social security, even the borders. But we've got these do-nothing, lazy, 
you know what's in there. And we've got to get them out because we're never going to get anything done. We've got to have people. They don't want anything to be done. They don't want anything to be done for at least the next 11 months. And, and that, and you know, and I hope that's, I hope that's what Joe Biden and the Democrats do these next couple of days. They need to start pointing these people out. There's a great article, well, perfect article in Rolling Stone by Tim Dixon. Mike Johnson compares himself, this is the Speaker of the House that Molinero voted for. He compares himself to Moses at a Christian nationalist gala. What had happened, Bob, is they let the media in. And then when it was about time for him to speak, they got the media out of there. All the journalists get out. Well, he didn't realize that they were taping it. And you should hear this guy. This is, this is, I swear to God, these guys remind me of David Koresh. They take the Bible, they twist it, they bend it, they, they try to, it's just like, give me a break. You guys are just, these are the type of people. And I've said this before. These are the type of people that scare people away from organized religions. They do. And yet some people love it. So, you know, yep. hey, everybody everybody in this country, everybody can choose uh, what religion that they'd like to follow, if any. That's the great thing about this country, if, you know, freedom of religion. If, if that's the type of um, worldview that you subscribe to, well, that will be the church you go to, or that will be the uh, TV, religious TV show that you support, or maybe you'll support it online. If that's, if that's to your liking, okay. If it's not to your liking, go to a different church. Or if none of the available religions are to your liking, opt out. I mean, that's, that's the story of America. Oh, oh, absolutely. But what I'm saying, this is why you see, I think this is one of the reasons why you see these churches closing. All denominations. And this just doesn't even go for, for Christianity. All faiths on this world are under attack. And, it's, and I think a lot of it is because of these, these so-called people that, you know, we're all God's children. Almost. Almost. And that's where the problem comes in. You have people, hey, I'm, I'm looking, I'm searching for these things. But when you see these 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 whack jobs like this, who, who's not? Wait a minute! I thought I thought the Lord. I thought God loves everybody. Well, you know He does. But oh, really? And that's what the confusing, and they have people wandering, and just it's just a mess, a mess, a mess. And these are the people that have to be pointed out. And it's amazing. Joe Biden and, and uh, Nancy Pelosi got called out by the Catholic Church about not serving community because of their belief on abortion. And yet you get these guys in there that are the Speaker of the House, and nobody says a dang thing. Compare well, himself to Moses. Yeah, well, you know, if, they, if they think that's appropriate. Well, you know, like I said, it, there, there's going to come a point where you're going to have to choose. There's going to be no place else to run. There's no going to be no middle ground. You either are or you aren't. And it's going to happen. Because I'm telling you, Bob, when Donald Trump, if he wins a nomination, he's going to be coming up here to New York. And guys like Molinero and all you guys that want to be in the middle, he's going to ask you, are you with me or against me? I need to know right now. And they're going to have to say something. There's not going to be any wiggle room. He's going to be looking right straight in the face. Are you with me or aren't you? And it's coming. It's coming. There's a lot of Republicans that are in there right now hope that Donald Trump doesn't win 
but they're going to be there. Hey, 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 they're going to be there smiling. They're going to be there. But this guy's coming, man. He's coming. And it'll be very interesting. I'm not worried. I'm not scared. I'm a Democrat. I don't care. We, we've got, fought against this guy for I don't know how long. We're not afraid. It's you guys are afraid. And there's a lot in your party that are afraid. But you don't want to say anything. Well, stay tuned. 327 days of essentially nothing being accomplished in Washington. That's, that's what looms. Appreciate the call. Unfortunately, I don't. I don't see any way that Congress, at least the House, is going to accomplish much. They're in. They're now officially in the impeachment mode, which some members of the House, some Republicans, they were in in the impeachment mode even before Joe Biden was sworn in as president. They were already salivating to impeach the future president. That's what they've been waiting for. They're they're getting their wish. They've been working for years to impeach the guy. It's retribution for what they did to their guy. Hi, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, my name is Dennis. I'm an undercat. Morning, Dennis. So, what do you think? What do you think? My thinking on the impeachment thing is: let's not waste money on something we don't need, and it's not going to change anything. It's not going. The man is out of office, or not. The people are going to decide for themselves whether the man should be in office or not in a year. So I just find it a waste of money. If you want to do something with that much money, then give it to the people that are struggling. Yeah, give it to the homeless people in Broome County. All the money that otherwise would be squandered on the um, upcoming impeachment proceedings Calculate how much it probably would take and then add probably at least 20% because the estimate will be low. So whatever money that would be spent on a Biden impeachment show, turn that over to help the homeless in Broome County. Right. The, the, people, that, the, the people that are doing this stuff don't have touch with the, the real people of this country and to see how much struggle is going on. Um, there's a lot of complaints about theft in stores right at this moment. There's a lot of people stealing from the stores because they have no other means. It's true. Although I, I hasten to add, because somebody will call in and say, yeah, but there's also a lot of people stealing from stores just because they don't want to pay for stuff. So there's that too. Well, so you know somebody is going to call in and say that. It's true. On any given day in Broome County, some people are stealing things like food because they're hungry or people in their family are hungry. And then also well, also today, there are people who are stealing stuff from Boscovs that they don't need or stuff from Walgreens or CVS that they don't need. I'm only saying that because that, that way I'm anticipating the callers who are probably already dialing in. I just wanted to point that out. Yes, some people who are homeless or destitute and they 
can't afford to buy stuff that they really need, they are among those who are committing larcenies at this moment. But I just wanted to point out to you what some other listeners will say. Right. I agree, but the um, they're stealing stuff that they don't want or need and selling that stuff. Right, so they can buy drugs or beer. Drugs? Well, not even, let's not even go to illegal activities. Let's go to, they stole a TV to get enough food to feed their family. I'm sure they do. You know. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't doubt it. I, I'm not, hey, I'm not, I'm not putting forth the argument because it's right. something that I believe to be prevalent. I'm putting forth that argument because it'll save people a phone call because there were probably at least 10 people thinking, well, I better straighten Dennis out if he thinks everybody who is stealing from Walmart or Price Popper or whatever store is is somebody stealing stuff because they're in desperate need. Because I, I know, we, I mean, we've gone down this road before. I know how many listeners view this this very topic. And many will suggest that it's just because some people feel they're entitled to grab right. whatever off the shelves. And and to be sure, there are some, I, I, who knows what the percentage is. I don't know if it's 10%. I don't know if it's 50%. Who knows? I don't, I'm... I'm not conducting that kind of research, but I just wanted to uh, let you know what some listeners probably will say. Well, I just think that the money for impeachment, the the people, the people's vote will dictate whether they want the man in office or not in a year. Why waste money on an impeachment? All right. Why did we... And and on the other side of that coin, why did we waste... Okay, we, the other guy was... <clears throat> he was impeached. But why did we go for a second round? Again, Take yeah, a good point. Because the Democrats just wanted to uh, make a... They wanted to make political hay uh, out of the former guy. And, and look, they knew he was on his way out, but that didn't stop him. You're right. There was another... Uh, in my estimation, giant waste of money. Yeah, they got to prove oh, a point, but they knew they knew he was leaving January twentieth anyway. Even if he didn't want to, they knew he'd be gone. Right. So now they're they're going to do the same thing that they did with Hillary Clinton. They're going to run her, or they're going to run Joe Biden again. And they know that he's unelectable. Just like I thought Hillary, the only reason, in my opinion, of why Donald Trump was president was because the people felt like they didn't have a better choice. Yeah, well, what what could happen, what could happen is um, Biden, if he's the Democratic nominee next November, running against former President Trump as the Republican nominee, I guess it's possible Trump could be elected to another four-year term. But here's what's then probably going to happen. If that happens, I would say it's almost guaranteed Trump is going to be impeached at least a few more times. He'll be, he might be impeached into the double digits by the time he ever leaves the presidency if he winds up winning a second term. It'd be perpetual right. impeachment. And again, giant waste of our money. 
But that's when it comes to Congress, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, a lot of them want to make political hay, regardless of how much it costs the taxpayers or how much time that it distracts us from things that really need to be done. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. The money is a thing, but in the grand scheme of things, the federal budget, the amount of money that's wasted on impeachments for no particular good reason, that's, of course, a proverbial drop in the bucket. The bigger problem for America and for Congress is it takes away time and energy to deal with the real issues facing the country, both here and abroad. And for every minute, every hour that's wasted on impeachments and, oh, we're getting set to impeach. And, of course, the other side is saying, oh, you have no right or no point. There's no evidence of any crimes. So all that does is suck all the energy and it's exhausting. It's exhausting for everyone, members of Congress. It's exhausting for the American people. It's exhausting for journalists. Who wants to cover another impeachment? I'm not saying under no circumstances should Joe Biden be impeached. If he does something that's demonstrably uh, criminal, if you have irrefutable evidence that criminality happened and, and you think that's in the best interest of the country with the election now 327 days away, that would be different. But even the Republicans behind the impeachment have made it clear at this point they don't have the evidence that they need to prove crimes were committed. But we're going to go through the process, evidently. Unless a voice of reason suddenly appears in Washington. 607-772-1290, that's our number. If you have thoughts about national politics have thoughts about New York State or Pennsylvania issues or thoughts about things going on closer to home, give us a call. Binghamton Now, here for you at 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, streaming at WNBF.com. WNBF 1140. Bob Joseph taking more calls more often. Jerry and Vestal, you're on the air. Yeah, Bob. Uh, I got a question about the cost of gasoline at Broome County. Why is there such a discrepancy between Broome County and Tioga County and the rest of the state in a lot of respect? Is Man- there additional taxes in Broome County or something? Not to my knowledge, but many people ask this question. It- it's always a lingering mystery. Sometimes people think what Broome County really needs in the gas business is more competition. Yeah, because, you know, between here and in Owego, for example, it can be as much as 30 to 40 cents difference a gallon. I know. That's why when I need gas, I go to Owego. 
there you go. <laughs> I, I don't ask me why, but you know, if there's going to be that big a price gap, if if it's three thirty nine at Joe's place in Owego, why would I want to pay three fifty nine, three sixty nine at Tom's place in Binghamton? Yeah, I know. And I, there must be a reason, but I don't know. I don't know what there it is, is, but they, but it's secret. They can't tell us. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I, okay, no, well, I. Uh, yeah. It. By the way, it hasn't escaped my attention, which is why I take the short trip to Owego when my fuel gauge is on E for excellence. DJ in Binghamton, you're on the air. Good morning, Bob. Hey, I agree with Dennis all, and all, all three of the uh, tried out impeachments were wrong. President Trump was acquitted, as was Bill Clinton. That was failed to be mentioned earlier in the conversation. And I think the same would happen with Joe Biden. I think that if Nixon was in today's times when President Trump was acquitted, he would have been acquitted too, but he he didn't think so and, and mm. resigned. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that's very possible. You know, I, I give um, Milhouse Nixon a lot of credit because that had to be the most difficult decision of his life, aside from uh, hiring Rosemary Woods. Um, the uh, decision to leave office early, as he did on August 8th, 1974, um, even though people weren't big fans of Mr. Nixon, I think, I think oh, we he did. Were, my huh? A lot of people were. My dad loved him. My whole family loved him. No, Everybody I didn't. I no, I, I understand. No, he, he won election first in 1968, and he won easily won re-election in 1972. But I'm saying by 1974, there were more Americans who were disenchanted with him because of Watergate. And so my point right. is, I'm not saying he lost all support. No, Mr. Right. Nixon, even at the time that he left the White House in disgrace, he still was supported by millions and millions of, of Americans. And even to this day, they thought he was a great president. And uh, even if they understand Watergate was wrong and a crime, they don't believe he should have left office. But I, I do believe that Richard Milhouse Nixon did the nation a great favor by leaving when he did, because I think he wanted as best as possible to have the mess of Watergate put behind us as opposed to having to, to slog through uh, several more months of revelations and recriminations and hearings. Uh, I remember, I remember the Watergate hearings. Yeah, it was great live TV and I had great conversations about it with my grandmother, but it, it was not a good time. It was not a good time for America. Maybe it was a good time for the news networks, or maybe it was a good time for the Washington Post or the New York Times. It was a terrible time for the country. And so I, I, give, I give President Nixon credit for making that tough decision. Well, when you watch the news anytime at all, so much of it is because of President Nixon. What's happening today, Title IX, all the women in sports, the high school and, and BU uh, women in sports, he, he did that. And as far as Mike Johnson, who is most people's favorite, except for Rhinos, of course, when he he, he didn't have to de, uh, compare himself to uh, Moses, he could have compared himself 
to David who conquered Goliath because that's what he's doing. And he's up, I would compare him to, to King David. He truly is a valiant and, and great speaker. So I don't know why he chose Moses, but. Well, you know. I'll say this. He certainly is no newt. No what? No newt. Yeah. Yeah, Newt Gingrich, who, you know, nothing personally against Newt Gingrich, but man, hasn't his 15 minutes expired? Well, I could say Nancy Pelosi, but... Well, okay, even her. Okay, touche. So Nancy Pelosi, Newt Gingrich, you know, once you're no longer speaker, you know, move on. Moveon.org or something. You know, at least I'll say this about Nancy Pelosi. At least she's not turning up on talk, talk radio all the time. You know, Newt, I mean, he hasn't been in office, what, for decades? Why, why are we being treated to Newt so often? I don't understand it either. I don't, I don't care for that. Yeah, I mean, nothing against him. Hey, live, live long and prosper for all I care. But... Do I have to hear him constantly? I mean, aren't there newer people, newer people with newer ideas who can can add to the American conversation as opposed to an unsuccessful Speaker of the House? That's right. I agree with you. Yeah, but to your point, though, about Nancy Pelosi, I'd be saying the same thing if I had to listen to her on this station with such frequency. You know, imagine, if you will, DJ, imagine every time that Newt is on this station that we also had to give an equal amount of time to Nancy Pelosi. How would people like that? Oh, man. People would flip out, rightfully so. When she ripped up those papers when President Trump was speaking. Oh, I man, that, that was man, what? Was a whole new era. I, I was going to say, that, that was over the top. I mean, I understood why she did it. I know she's a, apparently a big believer in performance art and overpriced ice cream. But still, that was downright rude. Bob, that was what a bully does. A bully. And, and especially to Donald Trump, who is such an unassuming, non-bully type person. And let me tell you this: When I was in, what was it, uh, Mr. Bur oh, your your guest earlier, Casey. I worked there when he was there, for, and they said he was from Hawaii. Well, before him was Bill Burns started that the MHAS. My uh, English teacher, who was also mayor, him and his brother John Burns were mayor, and I got an A on a paper one time. And this dude walked up, and I didn't know who he was, and I was in seventh grade, and he was a lot bigger than me. And I had an A on my English paper. He took my paper. For, I've never spoken to this kid or nothing. This was in seventh grade, Bob. And he, he pulled a Nancy Pelosi on my paper. And then he walked away real fast. And I'm like, Why did, and I'm like what should I do? And I'm like, I don't want to get suspended from school. I, I, I'm not going to do anything about it. That's fine. And that reminded, that's a, that's a bully. I don't know why that guy did it. Um. And that's what she did, and that's just, you know, that's what we were dealing with. But thank God for Mike Johnson. He's, he's got a lot more class 
a lot more uh, professionalism and tact. Well, we'll see see how long he has the job. I think he's a short. <laughs> uh, no, I'm serious. I think he's a short timer. Yeah. You know, the the Republicans. Well, look, the Republicans have this uh, thing set up so any single member of the House can can move to have the Speaker fired. And I don't usually say things are dumb, but that strikes me as really, really unfortunate for anybody. I mean, whether the Democrats did this, set that sort of thing up, or in this case, the Republicans did it, it's unfair to the person who is Speaker. The person effectively has little real power if any member of your party who gets, I was going to use a bad word, upset with you can, can call a vote to ultimately see if they want to fire you. What, what kind of an operation is that? All this tit for tat is so, it's embarrassing, it's ridiculous. I was thinking last night, the money and time spent on this impeachment could be, we're in two wars. We have stuff coming over the border. We don't even know what it is. Come on, man. That is crazy, Bob. I know. Anyway, well, appreciate your call. Anyway. Thanks. 1150 News Radio, WNBF, here serving the American people for America every day. 607-772-1290. Still time to get a last-minute call in. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hello, I'm, I'm Elizabeth. I'm from New Milford. Hi, Elizabeth. What's up? Um, I just had to share a thought that, you know, all the money on in the impeachment and all that we're saying can go to better causes. I mean... I'd like to know if you're aware of the VA now requiring a copay for veterans. When did that begin? Uh, this was just, I mean, with my fiance received a letter uh, about two days ago. He received benefits from the VA, and uh, now the VA is requiring a copay. Well, I believe that's wrong. Um, I mean, We'll check into it then, but uh, I was wondering if you heard anything about it. So, no, I I um, had not, and I, I would encourage other listeners who have received si similar notices to uh, call. You might not have time today because we're close to the end of today's program, but maybe tomorrow. Uh, money is being wasted everywhere. I know. It's disgusting in this country. Yeah, no, I, hey, I'm with you, but I, I had not heard about this new copay requirement in, yeah i if, if it i mean i was told two people that work together my fiance works with someone else who's former military and uh there's a copay being required for certain services or maybe all services i'm not sure uh i didn't see the letter he was upset and uh apparently threw it away so yeah if i was uh expecting to receive certain benefits for my service to the nation, and I got a letter like that, I would, I would take a really dim view of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, they were guaranteed this. I mean, how can the how can the country renege on a on a contract that they made? I don't understand it. Why are we bailing out all these other things? Mm, yep. Hey, thank you for calling it to my attention. We'll see what other listeners have to say. All right. Yeah, I have to dig into. Thank you so much, Bob. Have a good day. Thanks. 1152. That's something I 
really knew nothing about. I still know nothing beyond what Elizabeth told me. So if you know more about that. I won't say I was surprised to, to learn that these days when it comes to uh, health care and the costs associated in insurance. Don't even, don't get me started. WNBF, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Bob, it's, hi, it's uh, Dave from Vestal. Yeah. And I'm calling about the impeachment, Bob. They're not going to impeach Biden. I, I, why isn't anyone putting the onus on the administration for not giving the information to to the people that are inquiring, Bob? They're not handing over the information. They're stonewalling. That's the problem. If they would give them everything they ask for, they want to protect Biden, so there's things they're not handing over. That's what this is all about. So the inquiry is going to force them to do it. They're going to have to, Bob. If they didn't do that, if they would give them all the information they need, they don't. They're trying to protect Biden. So they can blame themselves. And I want to hear other people calling in, blaming them. And quit blaming the Republicans because they want information. They have a right to it. And they're going to get it. Okay? Well, I think it's a darn shame, though, to waste our time on, in, on an impeachment threat. This is a giant waste of time. The election is 327 days away. The clock is ticking. We have better things to do than to focus on what Hunter Biden may have done. No, I mean, no, you, no, heard, no. you heard Hunter Biden's statement yesterday, and, and there was perhaps the most eloquent statement we've ever heard in the history of America, at least this month. I was impressed. That speech was far more coherent than either the current president or his predecessor. That speech by Hunter Biden yesterday to the American people, you didn't have to agree with him, but you have to admit he delivered it with passion. You don't want to know if Joe's a crook? You don't want to know that? Oh, come on, man. Do I want to know if Joe's a crook? Oh, That's not what America's about. America is about supporting each other. We want to know if the president's a crook. Just because he hasn't gone out and said, I am not a crook. Come on, man. Bob Joseph, it's been a pleasure. We'll be back tomorrow on WNBF.